0: So we have two parts. Uh, the first part is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. The second part is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 to 18. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This is Word of God.
1: Do you notice uh, that there is a lot going on in our church? Uh, We can't even, we don't even have space enough in our bulletin, so... um, I think if if any of you wants to redesign the bulletin so we can get more space, uh, that would be great. Um, but let, let's get into this message. We're in part three of our series on Christ-centered singleness and marriage, and this sermon is we're gonna try. To, this is we're gonna this will be like the last sermon that particularly focuses on those who are single. And um, I wanted to give. I, I don't know if I've ever really done this before. I wanted to give. Uh, some, some teaching on how to approach finding a spouse. Um, I know that that, that that is actually a really important subject and increasingly as I look at our culture, there's tremendous confusion about how do you even find somebody, how do you even move toward, how do you even date properly in a wise way in order to move toward marriage? And um, I I wanted to speak out of these two texts. So I'm going to do this in three parts. Part one, I want to make a case. Part one, I'm going to say, why date and marry a Christian? Why is it so important to date and marry someone who was already born again in Jesus Christ? Who knows the Lord, has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and, and then that is the person you want to marry. So that's part one. Part two... I want to offer some wisdom points, some suggestions, and maybe answer a couple of questions. Of course, one cannot do all of this in one shot. But um, and some of this obviously is my opinion. But I, I think I have I have some wisdom about this. Part of it is uh, is part of the wisdom is because I've been married for quite some time. I've been single and I've been married. And for those of you who are wondering, um, so you know, if I want to give you my little. Uh, What what, what qualifications do you have? One, I've been married for 18 plus years, so I've kind of seen both sides of it. And two is um, I obviously know something about the Bible, and I've been watching how um, both Christians and non-Christians approach this, especially this question of dating and finding your spouse. I've been watching this for many, many years. And so um, I want to offer some things that I I think will be helpful in part two. Part three is I want to talk a little bit about uh, Psalm 37 and the desires of your heart. And to close um, my message with this beautiful little passage from Psalm 37 where it talks about the desires of your heart. And I think that's pretty important, isn't it, for those of you who are single? Because when you think about um, who you want to marry, it has so much to do with the desires of our heart. Um, Let's get right into this. Part one, why date and marry a Christian? Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I only I only had one verse, and, and, and I hope this is familiar to you by now. Um, we've gone over this passage, but I, I just want to just take out this one particular... It says that this is the kind of thing that's in the Bible um, that really, that people don't pay attention to, but it becomes important. Um, it says your wife is bound to her husband as long as he, he's, he's alive. As long as you're alive, you're supposed to be married together. But if he dies then she can go and marry again. Well, she's single now, so she can marry again to whom she wishes, but then here's a catch, only in the Lord, to marry in the Lord. That's what I want to preach about today. What, that should be the goal of every person who knows Jesus. You're not just going to marry whoever I want to marry. It says you, you should marry who you want to marry. I hope you don't marry somebody you don't want to marry, okay? Um, but in the Lord, You should marry in the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Um, Let's go to, I think, a really good place to put this. Uh, This isn't the only, the only application is not in marriage, but um, let me um, unpack this passage here. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and this is often cited by uh, many pastors, many churches, when they want to urge people, whether they're young or they're old and they're single, to marry a Christian. And it says to this, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Hmm. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord does Christ with Belial? Okay, let me unpack this a bit. Um, what does it mean to be Unequally yoked. We don't really use this kind of terminology. Uh, yoking in this way, y o k i n g, is is a, is is an agricultural term. And so, if you were a farmer back then, how do you plow the fields? You would get you know a really strong animal, typically like an ox, and usually there'd be two of them. And then they would, and then you would harness this thing that would, you know, that would make the lines, these furrows, into the ground. And then you would put two of them together, and then there would be this harness across them. And the, for them to be put together, that's called the yoke. The two would be put together as a yoke. There's actually places in the Bible that says, don't take like a donkey <laughs> and an ox and then yoke them together. That's going to cause a big mess. And of course that would cause a big mess. Um, that's where this terminology is coming from. If you, if a Christian tries to marry a non-Christian, what you're going to do is you're trying to yoke two people together, two types of folks who don't really belong together. Because these two are now, you're hooked together. And as you go, you have to walk together. You have to see in accord. You have to see what's important and walk together. And... If, you do, if, they're, if they're unequally yoked, if it's sort of like a donkey and an ox, not an ox and an ox, what's going to happen? One will be taller. One The yoke will break, which is another way of saying the marriage will fail. Now, this isn't the only application to this aspect about um, unequally yoked, but this is a very important one. And almost all pastors I know, when they look at this pastor they're saying, yeah, that's definitely talking about marriage. It's talking about dating, and it's talking about marriage. Um, the, the, the command is very strong. It's not like a little bit of a suggestion. It says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Um, I know there are some people who are n- non-Christians, and they are more righteous. In, in a very real way, they're more righteous than some people who are already Christians. But over the course of time, a person that does not live under the law of God, that does not live under his rule and his reign, his grace, the power of his spirit and his kingdom, more and more is going to go toward his own rules and his own law, which the Bible calls lawlessness. And yet a person, even if the person was really kind of, was a liar and a cheat, an adulterer, all kinds of other unrighteousness prior toward coming into the marriage, If they're truly a Christian, increasingly the righteousness of Jesus will start to flow into their life. And so let's even say, say, hey, come on, that's a a bad passage. Come on, I know some non-Christians are more righteous than Christians. Absolutely true. I mean, come on, you'll you'll certainly get no argument from me about that. And yet, if they get married over time, the pathway will be just like this. It'll break. It'll break that yoke. It goes on to say... What does, what does light, what fellowship is there with light and with darkness? That is what's going to happen inside the marriage. There's a clash of values. One is which is of the light of the gospel and of Christ's kingdom. And then one which is of my kingdom, worshiping something else. There's going to be a straight-up clash there, which the Bible is going to call light and darkness. Um, what is, accord does Christ have with Belial? And this I know some people might find this offensive, but you know what this is saying? bilio is another word for the devil. What accord does Christ have with the devil? A marriage in which Jesus is Lord to one person, but the other person is worshiping something else, and we all do, and we all do, is really that person may not know it, but really they're allowing the devil to run their life. Really? It goes on to say that um, what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And I want to just say a quick um, point about this. Um, what is a temple? A temple is a building in which some such God is worshipped and all the values in accord with the reign of that God is celebrated, Right? But actually, the most t- important temples in the world are not made with bricks. <laughs> They're not made with wood and stone and bricks. The most important temple in the world is your heart. It's us. We, your mind, your heart, the life that you make is really a temple to whatever you worship. And I know we live in this, this time that we call secular. And so people go, well, I don't worship anything. I, I'm, I'm a nothing. Pastor, I'm an agnostic. I'm a nothing. I don't worship anything. Not true. All human beings have to take something and make it most important in their life. And then they're going to create a life. And after you get married, you're going to make and create a life together with your spouse. And guess what? In the middle of your life, whatever your life is together, you will worship something. (laughs) you'll make something so important and you will pass that on to your children whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not. <laughs> so just to give an example, and, and, and um, my, my, my wife and I, we, we've been watching this, uh, this Korean drama series. This is over-the-top, super over-romantic drama series called Boys Over Flowers. And, 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 but let me just tell you a little bit about what, what, what's the central drama in this drama series. Um, there is the son of a super-rich, very powerful um, conglomeration, and in, in the group, it's in the in the in the show, it's called Shinwa Group, right? And they're like the super. And the woman who leads it, the chairwoman, is she is like a queen, and her son is like a prince, and he falls in love with a commoner. One who is actually lower middle class, she's relatively poor. He's rich and powerful, a prince, and she is she's just a commoner. And what does the mom do? The mom is out to make sure this love never happens. She's out to break this, um, break this uh, potential marriage. Why? Because she worships money and power. That's why. Her whole life. And the life that she wants to pass on to her her son is, if you try to marry this commoner girl, you will destroy our company, you will destroy our way of life. What is that? That's a temple. (laughs) It's a temple toward money and power. So for her, money and power is more important than love. That's the fundamental drama that's going on, but that's going on in in every marriage. (laughs) That's going on in every marriage. If if the husband loves money and power, but the wife loves romance, guess what? That's just a clash of two different idols. That marriage is in trouble right from the get-go. That's just normal non-Christian marriage. <laughs> and actually, a lot of Christians enter their marriages this way. They say, I worship Jesus, but actually you didn't know that for much of your life you've been building a temple towards something else in your life. Some people worship you know, you, you got the guy who's like, "We're going to be really successful. We're going to make lots of money." She thinks that's really great, but really, all she, what she worships is perfect children and having a perfect family. You know what? That's, that's just the, that's the devil making them clash. That's going to be what that's going to happen. But that's but as soon as if you marry, you should both worship Jesus, and. Your marriage is actually a process of repentance to put away your idolatry and make your heart and your life together a temple of the glory of God through Jesus Christ, all right? Now, if you do not do this, all right, let me say a couple things. There's two likely bad results. The first bad result is... Let's say you're just like, come on, pastor. This person is the most perfect person. I've never known somebody who gets me better than this person. I'm so in love with this person. This person is so in love with me. How can we possibly not get married? I've heard this. I've met people who do this. I've seen them get married. I see their marriage failing five years later, ten years later. I've seen this. So this isn't theory. I, I just told you something I've seen. And not just once. Right? Now, every now and then, the Lord is incredibly merciful, and one person is a Christian, the other person is a Christian, and then the one person who isn't a Christian becomes a Christian. But oftentimes, the person's an immature, immature Christian, and they still have like there's a split heart of worship, and there's still all these clashes in their marriage. Even if one person becomes a Christian after they get married, That's a tremendous mercy, but. While you're single now, why do something that's foolish from the get-go? So if the one person is, you're a Christian. The person you're dating and you want to marry is not a Christian. Increasingly in your life, your heart is going to become a temple of the glory of Jesus. The most important person you're realizing is Jesus. The person, and in order to know you, you have to know this most beautiful glory, the beauty of Jesus Christ. You say, if you really want to know me, you have to know the beauty of Jesus. But this person who's supposed to be the most important person to you, human being, who you're married to, that person is increasingly doesn't get you at the most important place in your heart. That is a wedge of painfulness right in the center of your life in your marriage. Please don't go there. That's one particular bad way it can go. The other bad way it can go is is the worship of idolatry of the other person because the other person's always worshiping, right? Because they're a temple too. You're, you will be pulled to the temple of something else, toward idolatry, toward Pelial, toward the devil. You'll be pulled away from Jesus increasingly because your spouse, their worship sings out heart stronger to you than your worship of Jesus. And so let me give you a little illustration of my Uh, Years ago, I served under a a, a pastor named David Chung, who used to be a pastor here. And I remember, uh, um, this was actually right before I got married, and we were talking about this. One day, we were in the office, and we got talking about, I think he was worried about a couple in the church. Well, one guy was in the church, but I think his girlfriend wasn't a Christian, and he was just shaking his head and how he thought that was a a bad situation. And he said, Susheng, a, when a couple is like that, the person who's a Christian doesn't know that they're in a tug of war. But it's like a tug of war like this. It's not a fair tug of war. You're on the roof. You're the Christian on the roof, and that person is on the ground. You, that person just has their flesh and all their worldly idolatries. That's like the gravity. <laughs> we all have Gravity. You as a Christian, you have your own fleshly tendencies and you have your you know, tendency toward idolatry. You have the flesh. You have that in common with the unbeliever. Right? So gravity, your gravity is working on both of you, but you're on the roof and they're on the ground and you're trying to go higher and up. You're up toward God, but gravity is pulling you down and you're in a tug of war. Guess what? You're not likely with your own power to win that tug of war. You're probably going to fall off the roof. That's the illustration he gave. And if you're single today um, and you're thinking about marriage, please consider this piece of wisdom. Very important, all right? Um, part two, let's get into this. All right. I, I'm going to try to blitz you with a whole bunch of, of wisdom points, uh, which I th- hope some of them will stick. <laughs> I hope some of them will stick and be helpful. And of course, um, you know we, we're we're trying this thing. If you don't like anything that I say, whip out your phone and text that thing right into our email, and um, and we'll try to answer some of these uh, questions. All right. So le- let me let me offer some some um, some things which I think will be helpful. The first one, the first thing I want to say is there's no perfect soulmate. So please, if you didn't already hear that last week. Just throw that idea away. It's a poison pill idea. So, um, uh, if you don't believe me, I want—I want to quote somebody else. This is from Timothy Keller's book, *The Meaning of Marriage*, and here's how he puts it: um, The Bible explains why the quest for compatibility—compatibility—seems to be impossible. So, isn't that what you're? If you—if you're looking for a soulmate, you're thinking you're going to find the perfectly compatible person. Bah! <laughs> That's what the Bible says. <laughs> That's completely ridiculous. right? listen. This is the way Keller puts it. As a pastor, I've spoken to thousands of couples, and I, I don't think he's—he's he, literally—I don't think he's—he's he's literally not exaggerating. There. Some he's spoken to, of course, one on one. Of course, some he's spoken to in large groups, and um, his church has thousands of singles for years and years and years. So he's constantly. Um, Pastoring singles and wrestling, of course, with one of their biggest problems, which is marriage. How do I get married? How do I do it? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Here's what he says: I've spoken to thousands of couples. Some working on marriage seeking, some working on marriage sustaining, and some working on marriage saving. I've heard them say over and over. So he's heard this a lot. Okay, love shouldn't be this hard. <laughs> I. um It should come naturally, that's what they say. So we just think if there's some special little place of like nature and I'm just like aligned this to this person, that's my soulmate, I belong with this person, right? In response, I always say something like this, why do you believe that? (laughs) Why do you believe it shouldn't be hard? Hmm? Would would someone who wants to play professional baseball say, it shouldn't be so hard to hit a a fastball? (laughs) Would someone who wants to write the greatest American novel of her generation say it shouldn't be hard to create believable characters and compelling narrative? The understandable retort is, but this is not baseball or literature, Pastor. <laughs> this is love. Love should just come naturally if two people are compatible, if they are truly soul maids. And then he quotes another really important uh, Christian teacher, a guy named Stanley Harwas. Um, He's a highly respected um, Christian professor at Duke Divinity School. And here's the way he puts it. Destructive to the marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment. Necessary for us to become whole and happy. The the assumption is that there's just someone just right for us to marry. And that if we look closely enough, we're going to find that person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect of marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact. It's a fact, not an opinion. According to Stanley Harowitz, this is a fact. Here's what he says. That we always marry the wrong person. How do you like that? What does he mean by that? It's something like this. You think this person is perfect for you, but just wait, <laughs> okay? I told you, I've been married for 18 years. And, and like I said, I don't really try to boast, but I think I have an A marriage. Not because, I'm, like I said, not because I'm a really good husband. Probably mostly because my wife is a really great wife. I don't have a good wife. I think I have a great wife. But we've been married for 18 years. Are we perfect soulmates? I assure you, we are not. There's so many different ways we have bumped and clashed against each other that we've had to learn um, that in some different ways. My wife used to, okay, we'd have these fights, sometimes some of them really big in the first couple of years of our marriage. And we would find some really deep way that we're incompatible. And then you know what my wife would say? Then why did you marry me? <laughs> then why did you marry me? Because And why would she say that? As I look back, I think she said that because she thought that we should only have perfect wisdom, meet the perfect right person, and then marry that right person. Otherwise, that was a big mistake. But it wasn't a mistake. This is just the way it works. Hmm. And we're going to say something about this. Look, the reason why we think it's a mistake is because we're looking for this perfect romance. But in a real marriage, what you're really looking for is someone who could possibly become your best friend. Keller puts it like this, a marriage is really a deep friendship garnished with romance. But what we really think is it's like a perfect romance with a little bit of friendship on the side. Not true, like super sex and like that person rings all my bells and this person is exactly the right body shape and everything. It just makes, and just really makes me go, oh, you know, like, you know, like dreams, everything. And all that stuff that we long for out of romance but actually, marriage—it's going to sound. I hope this doesn't sound boring, because it's not boring. It's actually really wonderful. Is really a deep, deep, wonderful friendship, garnished with some romance and and sexual excitement. Right. That's the first one. So stop looking for a perfect uh, soulmate. Um, a second point: please prioritize marriage. That means. You should seek marriage early on. You should prepare yourself for marriage. that it should be a high priority in your life. Let, let me say something about this. Um, there's nothing in your life that will set the course of your life apart from believing and knowing Jesus, who is the most important person, period. The most important person with a capital M, capital I, is Jesus. But after Jesus, you know who the next most important person is? Whoever you marry. It is more important than what college you go to, what career you pick, what major you pick, what city you live in, how many children you have or don't have. It is more important than all these things. Right? It's whom you marry. It is, apart from meeting Jesus Christ, Really, the, it's really one of the most important decisions. So why, in every other important decision, for if you're right now, Young people work really hard to prepare themselves for college. They work super hard on their applications. They do all these crazy activities to make themselves look I mean, Because going to college, we know, is such a pivotal and important decision. I want to go to the right college, but it's actually not nearly as important as you think. And it's, not, it's nothing compared to who you marry. And I look at all, all these young people. They just have all these romantic dreams. They, don't, they just play around with, with other people, and they don't think about how they interact with the opposite sex at all. Or maybe they only do it except in this kind of this, this dreamy, romance kind of way, but they don't actually, they're not preparing their character and their heart and just growing, gaining wisdom about how they can discern. Hmm. So please prepare and prioritize. So now let me say something that may be kind of shocking. By your sophomore year in college, <laughs> I, I really am I'm serious about this. I think younger than sophomore year, you're probably too immature. You probably don't know yourself well enough. But by the time you get to college, isn't college a preparation for adulthood? Where else are you going to meet so many other potential eligible people who are at least roughly in the same intelligence and, and like pathway as you and stage of life as you? And if you go meet a godly person in a church, Christian fellowship, where else are you going to find somebody? That's a great place to meet your spouse, college. So I would suggest right as you hit about sophomore year of college, you should be looking. You shouldn't be looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend or just a date or have a nice romantic fling. You should be looking for your spouse. You should, if not, maybe actively say, I don't know if I'm ready to date. That's okay. Then how about praying? How about learning to interact with the opposite sex in such a way that you're already preparing to bless someone that you would marry in the right way? How about that? Sophomore year of college. I'm not kidding. I'm, uh, uh, this is how much I believe this. I'm going to say this to my kids multiple times before they hit college. I've already said this to my daughters, okay? Uh, uh, that's how much I believe this. And so why wait? On this kind of thing all right so prioritize third don't put off marriage too long don't wait till after all oh, your schooling I'm gonna wait till after I go to graduate school and then I'm gonna do my internship if you're gonna be a doctor friends I'm going to go to I'm gonna do go four years of college I'm gonna do four years of medical school and then I do four years of residency and then I'm gonna be a doctor and then I'm gonna get married are you kidding are you kidding the whole time you can be dying of loneliness uh, 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 all Other things, the fact that you're deep, because you're so lonely, sexual temptation will become unbelievably powerful to you. When you're in graduate school, you're going to be, or, or if you're in graduate school or if you're working a job, you may be working really long and hard hours. So where are you going to find time to really meet that right person? Where are you going to find time to really get to know that person? So there's this idea that right now we have to get all our economic ducks lined up first, and then we're going to get married. Why think this way when I told you your house isn't as important, your career isn't as important? Actually, you should think about that first. You should think about that very seriously first. If you meet the right person when you're 21, are you gonna wait till 28 to marry that person? There's so many people I see who do this, I think it's crazy. (laughs) If you wait till if you keep waiting longer, 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 you're you're probably gonna break up. And then what you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna break up with the person, I should have married that person, and then you're gonna be so bereft inside your own heart, and and then you won't even be able to meet the next person. That's what's gonna happen. I've seen this. Please don't wait too long. Um, Other reasons why you shouldn't wait too long is um, the older you get, the better you know yourself. That's a good thing. But because the better you know yourself, the more selfish you get too. (laughs) The more selfish you get. So there's a strange thing that starts to happen. A person gets older, older, older. They know themselves better. So they get more and more picky, picky, picky about the other person, about whom they can marry, And then, but it's exactly at a time as they're getting older older, more and more people are getting less and less interested. (laughs) You're getting pickier exactly at a time when less people are just just, just interested in you. So it's better to be looking for a spouse when you're younger because guess what? More people are just interested. The marriage market is real. (laughs) It's real, right? You know, like who wants... I don't mean to be mean about this, but like you go to a supermarket, you're looking at this tomato, when was the expiration date? <laughs> and you see we like, we touch the tomato, is it firm, is it mushy, <laughs> right? Everybody is checking you out kind of like you're the tomato. And they're checking, do you have an expiration date? And I don't want to be really, I don't want to be too hard about this. And because as people get older, they know this is very real, and it starts to become very painful. So I'm, so I'm really apologetic to people who are older, and they've really realized this. Right. So that's another reason. Please don't put it off too long. Um, next thing, um, don't let go of your church family. <sighs> Be in the church. Be active in the church. Don't just go to church like it's a little tick. I did my little religion. tick. So I did my one hour of religion this week. Go be in the church family. Be in the bonds of fellowship and Koinonia like we talked about in the last series. Let them be in your life. Let them speak into your life, right? Because guess what? You shouldn't date on your own. Um, older generations realize that a young person would just fall in love with the first pretty, pretty face or the most handsome person that just says, I like you, <laughs> we're manipulated by these idolatries and our emotions and by our lack of wisdom, guess what? It's better to have a crowd of people have a little bit of which People really know you. People really love you. And in the past, it might have been your parents or your aunts and your uncles, but nowadays we live in a very mobile society, and you may not be near your parents and your aunts and uncles. Anyway, you might not want your parents' opinion. <laughs> nowadays, I see that a lot of young people. Um, I have found that it's interesting... Um, when I talk to singles, I say, hey, if I meet somebody I like, do you want me to introduce you? And a lot of single people will say to me, Pastor, if you introduce me, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, meet that person. And not because I'm so good at this. In fact, I don't think I'm any good at this, uh, this uh, matchmaking thing. If you ask my wife about it, she thinks I'm, she's like, she'll just say, stop, Susan. You, you just, you're terrible. Right? <laughs> All right? and, um, but, I'll just, but I do it, why? Because I care so much about the singles. And I look at them like, hey, you need, you need somebody, <laughs> right? And you're getting older and older and older, and you don't seem to be looking for somebody. And so I, I, I do my little piece of godly nosiness, right? It's a godly kind of nosiness. And I say, hey, if I introduce you to somebody, I don't, I'm not saying I know somebody right now, but if somebody comes to mind or if I meet somebody, you, you, you know, And actually, it shouldn't just be me. The whole church should be doing this for each other. But we're also insecure. We walk in like, oh, I don't want anybody to think I can't find anybody. I don't want anybody to think, but in the meantime, I can't find anybody. (laughs) That's what's going on all the time. You're not alone. Let the church walk with you. And other things. Let's say you start dating somebody and you really like this person. Maybe it could go someplace. Early on, early on. Bring them to church. Bring them right into your spiritual family, and then watch. How do they respond to the gospel? How do they respond to real worship? This is the presence of the Holy Spirit right here in this temple. How do they respond to like being thick inside the holy, in the presence of the Holy Spirit? How do they respond to your brothers and sisters? How do they respond to the wisdom, the truth from God's work? If they immediately go, ick, I don't like it, or they're, hmm, this is interesting, or that those are good indicators or bad indicators right from the get-go. If they seem very allergic to the things of Jesus, that's a very, very bad sign. If they seem increasingly attracted to the things of Christ, and especially in in the church family that you love, then that's a very, very good sign. (laughs) Let me um, offer another one. Don't be afraid to use out-of-the-box means. Um, I I already alluded to this. There's a lot of people who think they have this this story in their mind. I'm just going to go to this party and just meet the right person. (laughs) I'm going to just be at school, and I'm going to sit next to this perfect person. And then we're just going to hit it off, and then it's just going to become... If that happens to you, wonderful, okay? But it's not gonna happen. (laughs) It's probably not gonna happen, right? The chances are very high that's not gonna happen. You probably need to be a little wiser and smarter. You should need to be in circles where, I have literally met people who don't ever talk to someone of the opposite sex because they're shy or they're afraid. But they just think if I just go into a little corner and pray (laughs) that God is gonna bring like a husband through the, the window like a little Tweety Bird through the back of their house. Like, please, come on, right? There's probably, God is trying to send, like, this man into your life, and he's sitting right there at church, but, like, you never talk to him. God is sending this woman into your life. There's, like, um, how, about, guys, how about her? Oh, and then, you know, like, but, they, but you, you never talk. Use means. And increasingly now, um, like, okay, there's this, there's this thing called online dating, and a lot of people I've noticed don't want to admit that they do. They've even checked it out, but I I, I think you should. I think you should. Right. Um, I and I'm, I, you got to be careful because some of these they're out to manipulate you. You never know. And then there's people say I'm a Christian, but they're they're not. They're not. Okay, they're lying. Right? The ladies, especially, there's lots of guys will say they're a Christian, just because they they want a girl that they think is a so-called clean girl. And so. They'll say they're a Christian. You go to church, that's good. I'm glad you go to church. I don't really go to church. Or I went like once, five years ago, okay? But they're lying. They don't, they don't know Jesus. So you got to be careful. Uh, yet another reason, but, but something like, hey, our youth pastor met you know, his wonderful bride uh, through Coffee Meets Bagel, which I think is actually fantastic. <laughs> when I first heard Coffee Meets, why, why do I think Coffee Meets Bagel is great? Is because they only send you one person every day. And they link you through Facebook networks, so it's potential people who know people. So if you're, you have a whole bunch of Christian friends and they have Christian friends, you're more likely to meet somebody who is walking according to Jesus. Right? And then you only meet one person, and then it just takes away some of that selfishness. Like, okay, I'm going to compare, like, you look at ten people, and you're like, okay, I don't like these ten faces, and you start doing the shopping. But if you only just meet one person, then maybe you just allow yourself to be more open-minded, just one person. I think it's better. It's much better. It's more like real life. Mm-hmm. So please be open to these things. How about other things? Be open to somebody setting you up. <laughs> open to blind dates. Okay? Uh, how about open to your pastor setting you up? Or 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 your or, or your small group leader setting you up, your GLF leader, or some other Christian you trust and respect, or just your friends. That's one, of the, that's one of the best ways. Don't go, I don't want anybody to set me up because they don't think I can get anybody, I can't get anybody. Come on, stop that. Okay? Be open. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that you can't do it this way. <laughs> in fact, the Bible is a wonderfully liberating book. Please avail yourself to all these different open doors and means of grace. Um, don't be ashamed to ask for help. I would even say this. You need help. (laughs) You need help. Let me ask you this way. How about asking somebody to pray for you for a spouse? Hmm? Pray. So you're not the only person praying for it. If you're not praying for it, you should. (laughs) How about the best help there is? God. And then how about the help from the way God likes to help? His hands and feet. The church. Ask them to pray for you. And then as they know this is a prayer need for you, then their eyes are open for you. Their heart, maybe someone comes to mind that they hadn't thought of. That may be the work of the Holy Spirit in your brother and sister's heart. You don't even know about it. But they will then, then they'll help you other ways too. You introduce them and then they start speaking to you. Open up your heart to hear real feedback from your brothers and sisters. You're like, I really like this person. Everybody's nervous about saying, oh, I think that person's really bad for you. But they don't want to say it because we're all autonomous individuals filled with privacy. You can't say that to me. How could you say that to me? That will hurt my feelings. But it's up to you to drop drop that oversensitivity and to be all closed in and tell your brothers and sisters, I want your feedback. That's help. And they'll tell you honestly, and if they really love you, why would they want to hurt you? It's like, I don't, I don't know if that person is the best person for you. You go to your, some of your best friends, especially your godly friends, and if they look hesitant, that's not good. <laughs> that's very helpful. And another way they can help you, too, is let's say you date this person for a while, and it doesn't work out. They'll help you mourn. <laughs> they'll help you heal. Or if it does work out, then they'll help you celebrate. And all the joy is more. But, so ask for help. Please don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, next piece of advice, fellowship with healthy married couples. Godly couples. Just be around them. So it's strange now, all the singles don't want to be around married people. Oh, they just want married marry people. They just all think about their kids. That's where you're going to go. <laughs> doesn't that you should learn <laughs> all right doesn't that what you want your future to be like so now i only want to just hang out with only single other people and listen to their advice which is just the blind leading the blind for the most part <laughs> so why don't you hang out with people who actually know how to do it and watch them all right watch how they watch how they fight watch how they make up ask them stories about how they got together ask them did your relationship, every now and then, you'll be surprised. that' will say, oh, we never met, we almost didn't make it. We dated for a while, and then we broke up <laughs> over this thing. And learn. You could, there's so much you could learn just by being around, right? And, uh, and allowing them into your heart and into your life. A um, couple other things. Uh, when you start a relationship, don't be too hasty. Don't marry that person in two weeks. Don't go, oh, I really love this person. This person's it. Don't say that. <laughs> Don't even think that. Take some time to date. See that person not just in that, you dress nicely, he's dressed nicely. We're at this perfect little restaurant. We're a romantic walk across the beach. Oh, this person's the right person for me. Are you kidding? <laughs> Don't think like that. See that person in all kinds of contexts. In your own personal family with your mom and dad, see them with church. Take them, see, let them see you stressed Take them through a season of your life. Take them through Christmas. <laughs> when, when, uh, when, when bad things of your family start stressing you and the joys, oh, sorry, take them through that season and let's see. This is life. Marriage is life on life. Take them through some life. So don't be too hasty. Ah, that's one advice. Don't be too hasty. But the flip side is don't wait too long. I want to say this to to the brothers, to men. If you date someone a long time and you really like her and you don't even think about marriage, you suck. (laughs) I think all men who just say, I'm going to have this girl as my girlfriend, you don't even think about marriage, and you're stringing her along, hey, her biological clock is ticking faster than yours. It is not fair. I actually think it's a horrible disservice when men, we really, we're really dishonorable to women. You date her a long time, but you have no plans to hand her the ring? No way, All right? I think you're an evil man. I would, I'm not kidding, evil, if you do this to a wonderful young lady. So don't do this. And the flip side advice is, and if you do this, I, I seriously think you you should des- you deserve the wrath of God. All those women are the special daughters of God and you're doing this to her are you kidding if someone did this to my daughter <laughs> dated her for a year a year and a half won her heart he's not interested in all I'd want to kill him <laughs> and then broke up with her are you kidding I'm like dude Hudson let's go get a gun <laughs> that'd be on my mind <laughs> let's go kill this dude course i wouldn't do it because then i'd go to prison (laughs) but let me tell you god loves these women infinitely more than i do and god can be angry so men you better think seriously ladies the flip side advice is don't stick with the loser for a long time oh i just love him he's so great to me so great to me does he ever talk about marriage no he never talks about marriage Oh, he talks about marriage, but he, never, he seems to be really cold. He's chicken. He's—he has come in. We've been together for two years, but, like, drop him. If he doesn't get scared and then go to the ring, then you know that he, what he didn't meant to be. I know that's really hard to hear. Don't wait too long. This isn't just, we're going to just play and have roles. You're using each other emotionally. If you're sleeping with it, you're each using each other sexually. Either way, you're sinning against each other. But what you're really doing, real dating, is really seeing, can I marry you? It should be a kind of form of betrothal. <laughs> the older word is courtship. All right. But it's really, let's see. Let's see. Right. And there's another reason why you shouldn't just be dating just like, Tons and tons and tons of people and falling in love and falling in love and falling After a while, every time you fall in love and you just, all these affections, you start, you're giving out what you should give toward your husband, toward your wife. Okay? So don't take too long, please. All right, um, one more piece of advice, a couple questions, and we're going to go to the final portion of my master are going long as usual. All right. Um, don't stay in the gray area of ambiguous friends. Okay, so people today are so afraid to ask each other out. Men, come on. Come on. You like her? <laughs> She's your friend. It's, it's Come on. Why don't you ask her out? But let's say you have, you, you, ladies, you, you have this guy friend, and you, you know that there's this tension. Guys, you, you have this girl that you know you're, you're a good friend with, but we're just friends, just friends. And there's, a, there's this tension called the gray zone, the gray zone of ambiguity. Don't sit in that zone. Someone got to have the guts, and it should be the guy, by the way, should be the guy, to have this oldest, the the term that my generation was called the DTR, define the relationship talk. Okay? And that means we're either going to go forward because. The fact is, if you're really friends but you're starting to get close and intimacy is starting to form between you and this girl or between you and this guy and you're already starting to act like boyfriend, girlfriend, you're already starting to have a closeness which is something like marriage. So if you just try to just keep it friends, one person is dying. <laughs> so ladies, you should be careful. <laughs> There's some guy, if he's always super nice to you and is always there for you, he likes you. Come on. <laughs> probably in all likelihood and guys if you feel this way it's better to take a chance but she might break my heart and just says oh, i'm sorry we're just friends you know that's like that, that killer that killer phrase sorry i just want to be friends just friends oh knife to the heart take the knife to the heart man let's have some guts right? or because you know what and in jesus you'll come back to life that's the gospel <laughs> You'll come back. You're not going to die. You'll come back to life in Christ, okay? But if, what if she says yes? Oh, my goodness. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> so take a chance. Come on, man. A couple of last questions. Um, Pastor, I'm already dating someone, and this person is not a Christian. What should I do? All right. If you've been dating this person a really long time, And you're deeply, deeply, if this person has no chance, showing no interest in Jesus, I know this is the reason I'm saying this because that would be the toughest situation. If you just started dating this person, please stop dating this person, break up. Honestly, I know that sounds really harsh, so not romantic. Pastor, you're such a killjoy. (laughs) Actually, it's because I love you that I say this. But actually, Even if you've been dating this person, you think this person is it. If this person is showing no signs of being walking toward Jesus, then then break up. You'll regret this five years from now, ten years from now. Ten years from now, you have three kids. You're married. You've been married for seven years. You have three children. And your husband cares nothing about Jesus. And is actively telling your child, (laughs) money is what matters. (laughs) Isn't that going to kill you? You don't want to be there. Pastor, I'm already married, and um, my, my spouse isn't a Christian. I already made every mistake he already said. I waited too long, then I got desperate, and I married this person who wasn't a Christian. What am I supposed to do now? Actually, 1 Corinthians 7 tells you, if the person will consent to stay, they won't divorce you, don't be divorced. Love them in Christ. 1 Corinthians 7 says, The one who is married helps make the one, who is, the one who is Christian helps make the unbeliever more holy. Why? Because the Holy Spirit starts to affect them, draw them toward Christ, make your whole life about Jesus. Not in a weird religio- religiosity way, but filled with grace, mercy. Pray for them and ask your brothers and sisters to love your spouse, draw them toward Jesus. But if they divorce you because you love Jesus, Don't be too hurt. That's also what 1 Corinthians 7 says. You can't control them. You can't save them. You can only love them in Christ. Um, One last thing. What if I haven't done all these things you said, Pastor, and I think it's just too late for me. It's just too late to find a good spouse. Here's my answer to that question. It's not too late. You're 50 years old. You've made all these mistakes. (laughs) I can't find a good spouse. Not true. Not true. Um, I'll give you two examples. If you're not sure, this week you should read the book of Ruth. That's the Bible's answer for you. Read the book of Ruth. Beautiful story of marriage of someone later in life. Both. The husband's name is Boaz and the wife's name is Ruth. Ruth. It's a cross-cultural marriage. just like two different ethnicities. As you grow older, and you, you're probably not going to find so-called the perfect spouse in your, in, the eth- in your preferred ethnicity anyway, read the book of Ruth. i give you a, a, more, um, uh, a more historical example. It's Martin Luther. One of the, the incredible heroes of Christianity is Martin Luther. He married late He had an absolutely wonderful marriage. And he, had, he popped out a lot of kids, <laughs> all right? They had a lot of kids and a wonderful marriage. Martin Luther. It's not too late. Okay. One more thing. Let's move on. Um, Pastor, I'm so stressed out. I don't even know if I can do this. So. I'm afraid and nervous all the time. This is what my last portion. Let's, let's go to Psalm 37. You don't have to go there. I'm just going to read this for you. Don't stress. <laughs> Stop being so nervous. There are people who are nervous about this when they're 16 years old. And then there are people who are nervous about this when they're 46 years old and everyone in between. I'm not finding that person. I've been looking, looking, looking. I'm not finding this person, Pastor. I hear you. I hear you. I've dated the last three people I dated. like One person was so terrible. (laughs) One person broke my heart. That person was a Christian but then broke my heart. So um this past week in our devotions one of our you know you know we've been doing devotions and um pastor young picked a wonderful passage um thursday devotion was from psalm 37 and it did deeply spoke to me i want to share something about i want want, um when my wife and i were um single well when i was dating my wife I, i i can't go into the whole story now but we had this uh problem and we, we were kept apart from each other and it was it was painful just to give you a little hint it was something a little bit like boys over flowers <laughs> okay and we were kept apart from each other and um and i felt like here was this woman whom i deeply love who was the desire of my heart and i couldn't get her and one day in quiet time my uh, the lord gave me psalm 37 4 delight yourself in the lord And he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's this person I want to marry. And hopefully the Lord will give this person to me. But this past week, I I never saw these verses before. You know what? That's verse 4, 37, 4. Psalm 37, 3 says this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Befriend faithfulness. Do you hear that? That's like everything I just told you. Be in the church, befriend people who are faithful, but trust in him. And then, you know, it says in verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him. Trust in him. So here's, here's the promise. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think marriage and longing for marriage, isn't this one of the most important desires that we have? He will give you the right person. It may not, she or he may not exactly look exactly like what you think, or it may not happen the way you think. But if you ask and you go to him. But do you notice this? It's it's sandwiched between two verses that says, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, verse 3. Trust in the Lord, verse 5. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But it's sandwiched between trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. The delight of your heart will come between a trust in the Lord sandwich. How about that? You want to eat the delight of your heart. That's the meat in between the sandwich. That's that's not the part that makes the sandwich. But the two breads are trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. And I want to close my message this way. When you marry this person, don't you want somebody who really knows you deeply? Who won't look at your flaws and your failures and your, fr- and your fears and just go gross? Who won't look at your dreams and just be bored and yawn and not listen at all? Who will look at all your quirks and be delighted? <laughs> who will look at all your strangest things? And then who will take all your sins and all the ways you hurt them and then take it, bear it, forgive you, love you, embrace you? accept you isn't that what you want now we all want this in a spouse right but isn't there already somebody who does all these things isn't there somebody who knows you inside out you have hurt him and he forgives you he looks at all your fears and all your failures and doesn't say gross He's already borne all the wounds and all your things, and he cares about your dreams, and he cares about the delights of your heart, (laughs) the desires of your heart. Trust in Jesus. Trust in the Lord and all these things, and hopefully pick up some of the the wisdom points, and I pray, and we all pray, and we will celebrate with you as you go toward a Christ-filled marriage. Let's pray and go to the table of the Lord. Dear Jesus, in our culture today, just singleness can just be so hard. I mean, I guess it's always been hard. But with so much confusion and um, so much temptation so much of the blind leading the blind and all these other temples of worshiping someone, something else. Um, but we pray, Lord, that today, I pray especially for those who are single <laughs> and those who are hurting and those who are longing. Would you draw them toward yourself and comfort them and help let some of the wisdom be sticky in their mind. Would you lead them toward the one that you have for them to bring together Or maybe some of them would say, you said, I want you to find your deepest comfort in me and I'll give you a gift of singleness and you could be completely released and free in me. We pray, Lord, that you would be the deepest person in union with them. Give them power and strength as they go forward and wisdom in Jesus' name.